tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it. It just comes out of you. Hey, guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm Dave Ramanu, the writer-director of Aviation. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stewart, page the screen. Dot com up in my bundle. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Road Warrior and The Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. The from page to screen. How are you? What have you been up to? Oh, um, well, we, we pretty much just about finished. Uh, shooting the time war finally, and I mean it's a very very hard run, um, but it's uh, how do we explain it? Um, it's been, it's just been really kind of weird, you know. It, it's 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 uh, you know, I'm, try, I'm trying to get my brain around it, you know. It, it, it we uh, I mean. We were shooting the. I, th- I think we're shooting the last day of the film, and and Tracy's, which is public knowledge, by the way, Tracy's mum passed away, and right in the middle of the shoot, she got the word, and yeah, which was coming for a while. So, um, uh, then we we just said, you know, I said, do you want to keep going? She said, let's keep going. So we kept shooting, and then she did this. She was very stiff for a bit, and then I said, just you know, be emotional on this this take, and she she uh, she had problems memorizing it because you know obviously her her mother had passed away uh, and then she just you know three takes she she clicked back to the memorization of what she'd done for the scene and gave this amazing emotional response um scene and it was perfect and uh she said well that's you know obviously that'll be in the film but that'll be the scene where she she says i know i just heard my mother passed away and it's you know it, it's not that she's using that, but no. it, it's, it was, it was such a good scene and it, it worked really well. And it's like, well, that's definitely not going to be on the cutting room floor because it was such a good scene. So I'm happy, you know, got it done and, and that was it. We st- still got a few uh, pickup shots to do here and there, but, uh, very, very minor ones now, shall we say. But so it's, but it's, it's all good. You know, it's, it's just been hard cause you know, I was, let's see, I was, uh, I was shooting a scene hanging off a, a balcony about 30 feet up in the air. Uh, I, you know, thankfully I tested it. It was very safe, but I had my, my legs wrapped around the, the railing. And then I had a safety person, somebody holding on to me as well, while I hung off the edge of this building doing a shot. And it's a great shot. But um, as I came back in, I twisted my ankle. So I can barely walk for ages. But, you know, it's okay. It's better than falling, I guess. Uh, definitely, you wouldn't be uh, having a conversation with me if you'd have fallen thirty feet off a balcony on your head. Yeah, not yeah. at all. But you know, it's all good. 
that's just what you do to get the shot, I guess. And and uh, you know, I'm just I'm actually uh, relatively speak edit starting to edit the film and making sure we got everything in the can. And then you know, it's um, it's just hard work. That's all it is. So I'm I'm very happy. I'm I'm finally going to get to catch up with TV shows and movies. Nice. So you know, I um I after listening to you talk about Close Encounters, I went out and bought the Blu-ray of it. Nice. Yep. And then I realized I already had it. Oh. But a different version. Yeah, you know, pretty much. Materials <laughs> so it's like, well, why did I do that? That was clever. <laughs> this, was, this was the 4K one you bought, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I bought the 4K one, but I don't have yeah. a 4K TV or player. So I oh. figured, oh, so I just returned it, you know, because I've got, got the, the one with the book. The oh, collect- right, yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, so I thought, that's better. So I'll just hold on to that. And, um, you know, I'm going to start catching up. I watched half of Planet of the Apes, but I'm jet-lagged. The new movie. Have you seen it yet? No, I haven't. It was one of the many films that I've missed this year, so I'll catch that when it comes out on DVD or Blu-ray over here. I only saw half because I fell asleep because of the jet lag, Um, but it's a really good film. I have to say. I can't wait to see the rest of it. You know, it's one of those things. (laughs) And then... uh, Sorry, go on. Yeah, how was uh, Woody Harrelson in it? Well, so far he's good. Um, you know, it's 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 an issue with the, especially the second film. The 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 acting from the CG characters was kind of better than the acting from the uh, the humans. I felt, <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't mean the acting. I mean the the you know the the audience interaction. You know, I was way more interested in watching the CG monkeys than I was watching humans for some reason. And I mean, it's, the acting was really good, but it just wasn't didn't engage me like it, watching the this you know. Caesar was was like it was amazing. It was just wonderful. Yeah, in this one, I felt um, it was balanced. You know, I was I was definitely more engaged with both sides of the fence. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of funny because it has that whole Battle of the Planet of the Apes feel to it too. You know, it's which <laughs> you know is is um, I how do you explain it? It's not the most loved Planet of the Apes movie, and it's definitely the lowest budget one. Um, but it definitely takes that and throws it on his head and gives it a really good vibe. Um, and I, I'm kind of liking that. I, I really hope they, they do uh, 2,000 years from now, Planet of the Apes or something, and, and you know we can see what happens when the astronauts come back and all that stuff. Because they're setting it up. You know, they're, they, they, they're definitely setting it up for something. That being said, I haven't seen the end of uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. The world may have been blown up by the end of it. So <laughs> my comment may be innocuous, but so somebody might be listening to this going, "Yeah, you clearly haven't seen the end of this film yet." <laughs> <laughs> so but what have like, you watched? I have watched some cracking films. I watched. Let me just have a look. I watched a bunch of stuff over this weekend. What did I watch? I watched. Uh, let's have a look. I watched a zombie film called "It Stains the Sands Red." Which I'd never even heard of, but I was listening to another podcast. It's called Bind Torture Cast, where they talk about horror movies and stuff. And generally, the films that they talk about, never even heard of. And they're kind of the extreme horror films, which is not really my... I'm not squeamish, but I'm not into this sort of gorehound type. Ooh, bloodier the better type thing. But this one is basically a zombie outbreak uh, takes place. And it starts off with an opening shot of Las Vegas, which has been decimated and looks pretty much wrecked. And then it goes into sort of indie film territory. So that's obviously the money shot at the beginning, which is fine. And it is basically a woman who walks across the Las Vegas desert being followed by a zombie. And that's the film. 
and it just keeps following her, and it's really good. Really? Very, very clever. Yep. So probably probably shot on a budget, but that is cool, but it, it works well for it. And it's one of the slow zombies. So she's just walking maybe 10, 15 feet in front of the zombie, and the damn thing just keeps following her. And this is in the daylight, so the, the heat starts to get her. She's she's quite a smart woman. She knows um, just before she heads into the desert to grab quite a few bottles of water. <laughs> so she's uh, she, she knows she's in for a long ride. But it's it's clever. It stains the sands red. Well, it kind of reminds me of the, um, you know, um, takes the lotion, she puts it in the basket. <laughs> it does. It was one of those titles because I was hearing them. And what they generally do, and a lot of podcasts do this, they'll, they'll tell you the title of a film at the beginning. They'll talk about it for 15 minutes and then get you interested, but they'll never tell you what the title is again. So you're oh. like, damn it, what was that film called? So I'm always trying to make sure that I mention the title after I've sort of given its pitch because I couldn't remember what the title was. So I ended up typing into Google um, Las Vegas Desert Zombie Movie and then I found it because it's one of those, it stains the, what the color. It's an awkward title. I remember having the same sort of issue with Rogue Warrior Robot Fighter. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm, damn it, keep getting the words mixed up. <laughs> um, so it took me a little while to, uh, to get it stains the sands red. But it's cool. You'd like it. Oh, I'm 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 looking at the trailer right now, and I see this mm. beautiful epic shot. Yeah, that's the money shot for sure. Definitely the money shot. Yeah. Have a look at that, and I'll tell you. Oops. Um, yep, they got three helicopters in there. They got smoke coming out of the buildings. I've done very good, you know, traffic jams on one side and cleaned up the other part of the highway. Yeah, it looks, you know, it's good. I I, I think they've tastefully done it, you know, and I'm I I would like to watch this film. There you go. That's number one. Number two is the new Edgar Wright film, Baby Driver. Yeah, how is that? Oh, that's so clever. Oh. It's really good. It's the music plays throughout. The music sort of fits in as a character. And mm-hmm. it is it is just such a fun film. There was two films I wanted to watch yesterday. One of them was Baby Driver. The other one was Spider-Man Homecoming, which unfortunately doesn't come out till tomorrow so. I ended up watching Baby Driver, and I put it on, and Annette went, what's this? I said, it's a new Edgar Wright film. She's like, what's it called? It's Baby Driver. What's it about? I said, you'll find out when we put it on. And she loved it. She oh. was well impressed with that film. So it, that is a very clever Edgar Wright film. It's lighthearted. It has got, and this is it's like a topic I'm going to sort of pick your brains on. It's got Kevin Spacey in it. Oh. But I'm still going to watch it. It's like... I was saying to Annette the other day, I said that the most annoying thing, other than anything that any victims go through, of course, is that these films get damaged. Because yeah. there, is a, there is a consensus, oh, you can't watch that, Kevin Spacey's in it. Oh, you can't watch that, Brian Singer directed it, or, or Brett Ratner produced it, or whatever. It's like, it can still be a good film, I think. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to stop watching Seven, or Usual Suspects, or whatever. You need to just sort of detach yourself from the movie itself, regardless of what you think about somebody that might be in it. Well, it's, it's happened to me where I, you know, I've hired some actors and they turn out to be complete douchebags. And sometimes they don't rear their ugly heads for a, a day or two. Sometimes it takes, you know, three years. Yep. But when it happens, it's like, well, I, you know, you don't know who you're hiring. You, know, you don't ask for a full secret sex report. They're not going to tell you anyway. No, they they've done. And, you know, it's not it's not their fault. He's a good actor, and you know, you you put your first, best foot forward. Who's to know? And 
I, th- I think that's that's what people got to remember. Yeah, is it a, if it's a Kevin Spacey production starring Kevin Spacey, and you know, I, I could see why people would be put off by it. But yeah, this is he's he's a hired gun. You know, he's an employee for a few weeks, and that's it. And that's that's what people have to remember. You know, with all of this, it's it's um, don't shoot the messenger. Don't don't shoot the his buddies just because they didn't know, or don't don't shoot those who've employed him in the past under good faith. You know, it's 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 a it's a sad situation, and and people are judging, you know, things too big. Uh, great, I think it's like, you know, anyone anyone who did House of Cards, imagine the people who lost their jobs because of this. Yeah, exactly. It's got it's it's a far wider thing than, you know, victim and, you know, bad guy, bad girl, whatever, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. And, you, you know, for me, it's, um, I, you know, it, it, we're fighting with it all the time. Um, you just don't know what you're getting sometimes when you hire, hire any human being. But it's, it's like, okay, imagine you were the guy who gave Charles Manson his first job yeah. in, in the ice cream parlor. And, uh, you know, <laughs> he was odd, but musical and interesting and brought the girls in and he was, a you know. He held court and, and you felt, well, he was a good employee, you know, and then he ran off and did some crazy stuff. Yep. So we, we don't know, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's, it's always been a fact of life that there's bad people out there. So I, I, I always tread very carefully because as I said, I've, I've, I have hired some douchebags and I've hired some absolutely wonderful people and you just don't know. There's no way you can tell what you're getting until, you know, people hide it very well. And he certainly did it well, let me tell you. There was no hint of that. He certainly did. It was like, I remember when the, the first allegations came out, and I'm like, no way. Come on, give me a break. And then they piled up, and they piled up, and they piled up. And you're like, oh, God, maybe there is something in this. So it's quiet. But, the, the, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Baby Driver. It's, it is a really good film. I think you'll love it. Watch it. Put the, the volume up, because I know you love your music. Oh, yeah. It just It's an odd film. But it's good. Oh, very nice. Um, I, I got up this morning and I had to get up super early and go out with the daughter. And I thought, you know what? What do I need to watch on a Sunday morning at 8 o'clock? I'm going to watch the new Leatherface movie. There's a new Still, Leatherface movie? There is a new Leatherface movie done by the directors of a, fir- a French film called Inside. And I've forgotten the names, so I'm not going to pronounce them. But it's a new... Uh, it's like a prequel one to the original 1974 Texas Chainsaw one. And it's kind of like, have you ever seen the, the, the we talked about Terrence Malick before, haven't we? have you ever seen the film Badlands? Uh, no, it's, it's on my list to watch. Yeah. I have it ready to watch. So, it's, yeah, it's, of you, it, I've, I've been going through all his films. It's basically a lot of kids, um, sort of teenagery ones, go on the run and the, the, the police are hunting them. That in a Leatherface world. And it's really good. It's good. It's over-violent. But films generally are nowadays, and one of the things I love about the original Texas Chainsaw is you look at it; it's not that gory. Didn't need to be. Yeah, it was spooky though. It was spooky. It was very creepy. Still creepy. So creepy yeah. as hell that film. But it didn't feel the need to show heads flying everywhere. But this one kind of does. So they've obviously gone to the 21st century uh, blood and gore thing. But it's still, it's a pretty good film. Nice, nice. I want to see it. See, this is the thing. This is why I listen to your podcast, you see. You give me a good list of things to watch. 
Uh, the final one I watched, which I watched a couple of days ago, but it's the last one on my list. It's called, and you're not allowed to ask me what it's about because I'm pretty sure the title is self-explanatory, Six Hot Chicks in a Warehouse. Oh. There you go. Yep. Were they hot? Yes. Well, was it, were we talking physically hot or? Yes. <laughs> probably temperature-wise as well, but That's yeah, what I mean. it's <laughs> yeah, probably temperature-wise as well. Um, but no, it was. It's. Um, I, I wrote a review for it. It's directed by a guy called Simon Edwards, and it's not out yet. But I wrote the review and I thought I'll send it to him just so he can have a look before I publish it. And I described the film as it's not exactly got a politically correct title. I had that line in there. No, it's it's a little edgy. Right now. <laughs> a little edgy. And he came back and said, "I love it." He said, "But." Is there any chance you can remove the, the non-PC part? I went, well, I can't do. Because he he's done that on purpose, obviously. Called it that film. Because it's uh, it's it's not trying to be an exploitation grindhouse thing. It's it's sort of tipping its hat to the grindhouse exploitation things. So he, he said he would rather people made their own minds up on whether it was PC or not. But it's, def- it's definitely not. I think <laughs> I think a few people are going to go, really? Are you allowed to call women chicks? I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not fried about. I do remember when John Fouts uh, described Tracy as a hot chick on a burning planet. So, you know. She didn't take offense. Nope. Now, but here's it- the interesting thing. What, was it a, um, was it actually a, uh, like a Kickstarter thing or something? It was indeed. It was one I donated to as well. Oh, how interesting. I donated, I think it was 40 quid. 40 pound I donated to that at the time. Probably about two years ago. Because I wanted the the poster. And Ah. signed. So that's on its way at some point. But weirdly enough, I've also signed up to get a Blu-ray. So I was chatting to Simon. I said, when do the posters get sent out? And he said, oh, he's waiting for the Blu-ray to come out. And then he'll send everything off at once. So that's quite good. But it was it was a good film. Shot for sixteen k, so sixteen thousand quid, which isn't oh, too bad. Good. Well, they, yeah, they, they 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 raised six thousand on Kickstarter. Yep, and obviously ten from somewhere else. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair thing, you know. It was and, good. Um, I wonder if they had their explosive ending. It's a six thousand k. We give the script a whole new explosive ending and make sure it really does finish with a bang. So they, they yeah, it finished with a bang. It was so good. The explosion happened, huh? I don't know if there was an actual explosion, but it was definitely... I'm trying not to use the word climax or anything like that, because that sounds rude, especially <laughs> when the film's called Six Hot Chicks in a Warehouse. But it's not. But it did have a sort of third act where all hell broke loose, and you know it probably would have cost a few quid to get yeah. that into. But it's, it's basically about a creepy photographer called Adrian who hires these six photo models to do this photo shoot in a warehouse, but he's kind of a bit crazy. So, you know, they may struggle getting out of the warehouse... But it was uh, yeah, it's very interesting to watch, shall we say. It was oh, good. A lot of fun. Excellent. I look forward to that. Well, if it ever yes. hits the US, I'll be very happy. Yes, I shall keep you updated because I've asked them to keep me updated. I'm going to try and get some of the cast on to do some podcasts. So a couple of them have agreed to do it. So, <laughs> um, What else have I watched? I've been watching a TV show called Ray Donovan. Oh, yeah. Now, how is that? Oh, I'm loving it. I'm on, I think, seven episodes into season one. And I watched that within probably about four days. So I'm really enjoying that. It's very good. Very topical at the minute. When you've got a guy who's covering up scandals in Hollywood. So. Oh, is that really what it's about? Yep. That's got the uh, the guy. Um, nom, 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 nom. Liv, Liv Schreiber. Liv Schreiber. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Yeah, he's a very solid actor. You know, he doesn't disappoint. 
No. So he, he carries it well, do you think? He does carry it well, but the, one of the, the shining stars in it is John Voight, who um, he gets out of prison after 20 years. He's Ray Donovan's father, and he's a bit of a criminal. He could easily have just walked off the Sopranos. So he sort of goes back into Ray Donovan's life and starts stirring up a bit of trouble. But the, the show itself is quality. It's very good. Now, now a piece of a piece of trivia on that show. Did you know that somebody from Star Trek: Next Generation is in that? Denise Crosby's in that. <laughs> yes, Cause I saw it. I'm like, I know that. I know that woman. And oh, also, crap. Yeah, it's Denise Crosby. There you go. And also, the father of one of our wonderful actors in At the Edge of Time, at the Time War. Elliot. Really. Elliot Gould is in it. Oh, he's amazing in it. He's yeah. great. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm just really, this looks like a great series. It's got Cheryl and Fenn. I mean, this, this is where all the, this is where all the great, the great actors, see Thomas Howe, <laughs> Roseanne Arquette, Hank Azaria. Um, this looks like a show I need to watch. Definitely. It's been on four years, I think now, and I'm just catching up on season one. So but yeah. I think it's maybe 11, 12 episodes per season. So it's not, one of these 24 episodes, so they're not going to be watching it for like two years or anything. Well, what, do you, what, what, do you feel, what do you feel about the, the short-run shows, you know, like like the uh, season one has five episodes, six episodes, that type of thing? Yeah, I prefer them. Interesting. I think it depends. I mean, with a show like 24, I loved it when it was 24 episodes, um, but I, I do prefer the sort of 11, 12, 13 episodes, I think. There's not many shows that I watch now that have got 20-something episodes because yeah. there's just a lot of filler episodes. You watch something like The Walking Dead, there's a lot of... I think Sean described them as bottle episodes where they're like, let's just put two people in a cabin for 45 minutes of them talk because yeah. we want to save all the money for the finale, that type That's of thing. That's what they call them. And you go, mm. yeah. So, I mean, I felt like with The Walking Dead as well, again... For the second time, I'm like, I'm done with that show again. It's just it's miserable. It's really, really miserable. Like, do I really need some misery in my life at this moment? No. So I may come back to it at some point, but, wow. you know, who knows? There's just no ending in sight for that show. Either there's no end game. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's, it's all about structure. You know, it's like with Lost, you know, that they, um, how do you explain it? They didn't know what the ending was going to be. No. And, yeah, you know, I kind of, I, I, people say it shows. I, I, I was okay with the ending. You know, I thought it was com- complex and weird, but it was okay. But it would have been nice if they had a better end game, you know. And I think moving on to Star Wars, <laughs> um, this, this I'm, I'm suspecting now, you know, like J.J. Abrams has set up Force Awakens and sent it off on its journey and put all these mystery box items out there and, um, said, you know, I, I'm not going to, I don't know what, where it's going, but here's the start of the, the, the film. And he doesn't know what the end game is, <laughs> but now he's got to come back and fix it. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, which I think is, is, is good. You know, it, it's like, okay, you started this mess. Well, it's not a mess, but you started this, you've got to fix it now. So I'm very interested, interested to see what he comes up with because he's an instigator, not a, not a finisher, you know, of these things. So he's now going to have to finish it up and, bring it all to a you know a happy ending and <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how he how he pulls it off it's kind of exciting um but go and we've got what less than well about a month well less than a month actually till the last jedi comes out 
Yeah. Well, that is a very interesting situation with that because Ryan Johnson obviously has uh, been offered his own trilogy. And uh, uh, I mean, think about this. Nobody has seen the film except for the executives. The audience haven't seen them. We don't know if we're going to like it or hate it, but chances are we're probably going to love it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a very major um, uh, big deal that the fact that they're releasing this movie, and even before it even comes out, there they've offered him his own trilogy, a Star Wars trilogy. Now that's just like being offered the keys to the the kingdom. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on, that's an amazing offer. What you've got to remember, though, is do you remember when Josh Trank was offered one? <laughs> yeah. And then do you remember when the Sinister Six was coming out and Sony were doing that? And you're like, okay. They could so easily be... I'm pretty sure Last Jedi is going to be pretty good as well. But yeah. they could so easily be doing that to make the audience go, oh, they've seen Last Jedi. It must be amazing. Let's go watch it. Give them all our money. <laughs> so we'll see. If the th- if he does, in fact, get this next trilogy, then that's good. You know, I'm happy for the guy. But, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, I think. There's too many times where some studios come out going, here's our plans. And then you go, yeah, we're not doing them now. Well, well my, my guess is, is that he came on board and uh, uh, how do I explain it? He came on board and, you know, he had to sort of take over the reins from JJ. And he's like, well, it's not really my story, but I'll take it somewhere and I'll do a great job. And he did yeah. without complaining. He probably pulled Kathleen Kennedy aside and said, look, you know, you can see I'm, I'm a pretty decent sort of director. and I'm easy to work with. Um, I could do even more if it was my own story, you know, from start to finish. And, you know, we're having to retcon things right now, and it's you know we're off on a te- we're we're off on a journey without a map, without a destination, and we're trying to figure out where we're going as we drive. But how about I do my own trilogy, and I'll plan it from start to finish, and I'll ha- I'll plan everything properly as as you know as George Lucas, you know, kind of does, shall we say? Well, though he didn't, did he? Um, and I'll take it somewhere. And I think that's that was probably the best thing because there's so much chaos going on with the story group and everything in, in Lucasfilm. And it's so hard and com- convoluted and tricky. And so if one guy is running the whole thing like George Lucas did, at least there's a, a nice linear story. And, uh, I mean, you know, that being said, you know, when George Lucas did Star Wars, I don't believe he he fully had fleshed out Empire Strikes Back or, or Return of the Jedi or even Episode 1, 2, or 3. He had some idea. Yeah, I mean, def- definitely um, episodes one, I think, and part of episode three was flushed out way back in the 70s, because if you read the novelization of the original Star Wars film, there's a prologue at the beginning which goes into the whole uh, Ben Kenobi fighting Anakin, Anakin falls in a volcano, ends up in a suit, so Palpatine and all that sort of stuff, that gets mentioned in that prologue. And I've, I think I've got that book somewhere, and it is actually from the, the 70s, the novelization. So that part, or that much, was at least fleshed out, but I don't think that much else was. Why would you? He, he didn't figure that he would be doing Empire and Jedi and so on, so why would you flesh the whole thing out? Yeah. I think he would. Well, that, that was an interesting story, because when they did uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was the novelization offshoot written by Alan Dean Foster, and you know, straight after he, he wrote Ghost wrote Star Wars, yeah, and he he was say, okay, I can you can write a sequel to it, and then we're going to call it Splinter of the Mind's Eye, and let's just assume that Star Wars isn't going to do good business; it might make its money back plus a little bit, 
Um, so let's do a cheap low rent sequel uh, and you can write the novelization of it. And you know that George made him cut out right at the start. There was supposed to be a big space battle. George made him cut it out cause he was afraid he couldn't afford to do it. And, uh, let's try to do, do a, a low budget, you know, star Wars sequel. And that's what splinter of the mind's eye was that un- unbeknownst to anyone, the film came out and George didn't expect this. He, the film was a, such a big hit that, uh, you know, they were kind of shocked. So Splinter of the Mind's Eye was already, you know, had been given out and he was already in the process of writing it. And it was one of the first pieces of new merchandise that came out, which, um, you know, I guess made um, the fans very happy. But that was always meant to be the unofficial sequel to, to, you know, Star Wars, Star Wars 2, as it was called back then. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a nice piece of, you know, novelization. You know, it's very interesting. Now, here's, here's a very, very interesting piece of trivia that almost nobody knows about. So, um, and I'm going to try to quote this exactly. Uh, so there was an issue of Starburst magazine, which was a British sci-fi, um, what would you call it? You know, like, like Starlog magazine. Yeah. Still run into the stairs, Starburst. Oh, good. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the exact information on this because it's so interesting. So Starburst, not, I believe it's not 79. Hang on. might have been 79, actually. One second. And I'll give you some very uh, – the weirdest amount of trivia you've ever heard. <laughs> uh, now, I remember it had a yellow cover and had Incredible Hulk on the, on the cover. Uh, let's see now. Maybe it was 79. Maybe it was 1980. Let me just come up with this. I'm just Googling it right now. Um, but that, that's, I, I remember having it and they wrote a review of, um, splinter, splinter of the mind's eye. So hang on, let's just see if I can give you the exact one. And they said, yes. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I can give you the exact issue number and everything. It was starburst volume one, number four. Okay. And it came out 1978. So it was one of the early ones. And in it, they wrote, and this is only from memory, but I'm pretty sure it's there. In it, they wrote a review of Splinter of the Mind's Eye and say, well, you know, this is fine. But just say, for example, um, you know, Star Wars is, you know, they're going to do a a sequel to Star Wars. And George decides to make uh, Darth Vader Luke Skywalker's father, for example. You know, that's really going (laughs) to have a problem. That's really going to give a problem to, uh, you know, the Splinter of the Mind's Eye book you know so it's so don't take it too seriously is what they're saying and so basically they they predicted that you know um luke skywalker's father was darth vader in the in the pages of that and i remember reading it thought, that's a stupid idea who would think of that <laughs> <laughs> and then two years later true well, it was true so you know it's just how life is sometimes it's very interesting Definitely. I remember watching Empire and then the, the climax and you're like, I'm your father. You're like, no. Spent three years going, how the hell does it make any sense? How, what, what's going to happen? Is he lying? What, I thought it was torture for a film fan in sort of early teens. Yeah, yeah there was oh. all this discussion that he was, you know, he was just saying it to manipulate Luke and how did this work? And Ben Kenobi was lying. And well, yeah, he was. <laughs> he was from a certain point of view. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. So, but yeah, I think I don't know. It's a new Star Wars film coming out. Han Solo will be out next year, and the year after that, Episode Nine will be out. And as much as I love having new Star Wars films, I don't know. Do you think we're getting too many 
Do you think they're too close together? Well, yeah. Think about this. You know, it's going to be so. Force Awakens comes out at Christmas. It'll it'll go to the end of January. So yeah. you go February, March, April. You got to go buy the thing on Blu-ray in April, and then <laughs> yeah. May the fifth or whenever it comes out, Han Solo movie comes out, or May the fourth. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, so then it comes out May the fourth, unless they push it. Um, and it's like they've got to redo the merchandise so quickly. And I mean, obviously, the the best merchandise they can do for uh, Force Away, uh, sorry, for Last Jedi and for the Han Solo movie is a Millennium Falcon toy. So it's the one thing that's and a Chewbacca toy and a stuffed Chewbacca and every, you know that's kind of the only two parallels. So, so it's going to be a hot year for Chewbaccas and and Millennium Falcons, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit of a concern. I would like to think they may push it. Uh, to summertime, yeah. to July, that would be very appropriate. Let's just say because then it's the mid midpoint. You know, we we get. I, th- it. I think just push it to December. Yeah, you but know, then, the, then they're competing against. Uh, ep- no, no, he wants that right no, now. No, no, no. That's yeah. twenty nineteen. Uh, the episode nine's out. Yeah, well, it's good. Yeah, so it's uh, that's a good point. They should push it. Yeah, uh, I've just checked on IMDb, and it's still down for the twenty third of May next year. But I can see them pushing out till December. And it would make sense because what, what else is coming out next December? I don't know. Not a Star Wars film. Yeah, point. Well, oh, well, maybe the Avatar movie comes out then. Oh, that, is that ever coming out? Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me just tell you right now. Avatar <laughs> release date. I'll find out. Two. Um, 2020. Oh, gee, they're going to be up up against episode nine. Isn't it? Oh, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a problem. Is that when the first one comes out, or the second one, so to speak? Avatar 2020? Well, you know, who knows? Who knows That's how like it works? ten years after the first one, isn't it? Wasn't it 2010, the, yeah. the first Avatar? It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't care how talented you are, James Cameron. It does not take ten years to make a film. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> exactly. People will have forgotten. Well, yeah, that, that, that's going to be an interesting thing, but... Um, you know, who grew up with that movie? So if you're like a 13-year-old boy in 2010, you're going to be 23. And a 23-year-old yeah, maybe don't want to go and see it, you know. Even a 17-year-old will be like, well, who knows? But, yeah. you know, it's it's once that, that 23-year-old gets to 33 or 35, he's going to want to go, oh, I want to go see another Avatar movie then, you know. So give another 10 years and it'll be cool. It will. Boy, so I- just, Justice League's out now. Oh, the movie's out. So, the movie oh. is out. Uh, What's well, out over here anyway? I think it's probably out over there as well. And I saw I saw news headlines this morning, and Justice League opens to dismal ninety five million dollars. How's that dismal? <laughs> it's like for God's sake, it's still ninety five million dollars. But when they've taken in the overseas takings, it's now on one hundred eighty five on its opening weekend. That is pretty good. I don't care what anybody says. That is not bad. That's okay. Yeah, that's quite acceptable, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't see that as a problem. No, um, you, it's not rating that well, but I, you know, I didn't think it would though, because the critics are just too damn vicious when it comes to DC movies. Yeah, for some reason, just every. I mean, I really enjoyed Batman v Superman, Wonder Woman. They were okay with. They seemed to like that and let that <laughs> one get off lightly. Suicide Squad, they ripped to pieces. Yeah, and Justice League. They're pretty much ripping to pieces as well. My only issue with Justice League is that its original running time was supposed to be two hours and forty-five minutes, and now it's two hours. So oh. there's a lot of trimming going on there. Oh no! But just you wait for that Blu-ray. It'll 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 make a lot of money. It will, because I'll buy it. 
but yeah. then it puts me off going to cinema to watch it. Think, well, why am I going to spend ten pounds per ticket mm-hmm. to then pay fifteen, twenty quid for the Blu-ray when it comes out with all the extra stuff on? It's going to be a day when it's. I mean, it's already there now. You know, most movies that come out make most of their money on on the you know on the on the the non non theatrical um, media mediums, yeah. which is a problem. Yeah. It's a problem. You know, I don't I don't know what the solution is. Um, my my solution is go television. You know? <laughs> yeah, true. I, I started watching, uh, you know, because I'm I'm in that mood now where I'm, I'm uh, what what what's it called? Uh, I'm binge watching stuff. So I started. I felt very. I feel I miss England. So I I uh, decided to watch a series called White Gold, which is set in a showroom in Essex in the mid '80s. Essex is a part of England, uh, a weird part of England. I, actually, I love it there, but charismatic salesman Vincent Swan leads an unscrupulous team. Smart, handsome, and confident Vincent will happily break the rules if he guarantees a sale. It's actually really good. Um, and it stars Ed Westwick, who has just been, of course, has been accused of some sexual harassment stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I knew I'd heard him name somewhere. I think everybody's been accused of that. This month, really, I have. He's really good looking. I have neither. He's a good-looking guy. I don't think he's, you know, but uh, he's actually really good. He's he's a great actor. He he, he reminds me of, um, oh God, uh, that wonderful actor who's getting on a bit now. Um, he's not getting on. Uh, Jude Law. He's got a Jude Law vibe going. All right. Yep. And he's very delightful. I enjoyed the whole thing. You know, he's making, he's playing a, you know, a bit of a bit of a, I don't know, a scam artist. But it's 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 wonderful, and it's you know the the series has done well. I, I I'm watching it going, man, I wish I did that. It's, it looked like fun, but I will, I'll that check would, that one out. I hadn't even heard of it. Oh, it's great, but it's a Netflix thing. It would have made a really good movie back in the time when Guy Ritchie was was doing you know it was king, um, but you know obviously with a different ending and a, you know, but it's it it, it runs runs beautifully as, as a series. And it's very enjoyable. And that's a six-episode, thirty, approximately 30 minutes, give or take five minutes. Um, it's about 180, 200 minutes worth of stuff. And I think to myself, I'm watching that going, well, the time wars could certainly fit into the, this, this model very easily. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that there's, there's the future of uh, drama and media and everything is, is, is in good hands. It's going somewhere, of course. You know, it makes me happy. So, how when you're putting a time war together, how how do you deal with the running time? Oh, I don't. <laughs> do you not sort of go, all right, this needs to clock in at approximately between this and this, or do you you make it the story's right, and then you look and go, oh yeah, that's how long it is. How does that whole thing fall into place? It's yeah, a very good question. Um, I'm not thinking about time. In fact, I'm allowing it to breathe a little bit. See, so you, 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 you've got to, you, you've got to, you're, you're running the line between doing something that breathes beautifully and has a great story flow and then boring the audience to death. So you've got to kind of find the, you know, the, uh, the middle ground, shall we say. And so I'm just, I'm just doing a rough assembly right now, but it's, um, I'm not thinking about time whatsoever because I truly believe that the time it's done, the marketplace will dictate to me as to what it should be. You know, I'll, I'll do a rough cut. Then I'll start doing visual effects for certain scenes. And then I'll look at it and say, okay, it's, this is a limited season one 
Netflix series or it's a uh, Amazon show or it's a movie of the week or it's a feature film for the cinema. It's, it's got to play at all the film festivals. I don't know. And I, I'm not allowing myself to go there yet because life will bring what it brings. Yeah. And, you know, it very, it definitely could be a series and it definitely has been pushed around towards that, but I'm not thinking, you know, how will episode one be? Cause, because, because, no, you know, it, no. it's, it pushes you into a box and I don't want to be in that box and I just want to be free to create a great story. And, um, you know, Tracy Bertzel's in this film and she's quite wonderful and it's, she's carrying the whole movie. I would say way more than, um, rogue warrior. Shall we say in the wow. sense that, um, and I, I, you know, there's, there's whole scenes where she's acting opposite herself, <laughs> which is a, a piece of work. Let me tell you. Um, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's epic in a whole different way, and it, it's kind of fun because I can step away from science fiction for a little while. I mean science fiction, but not the usual stuff I do. Um, and it's a nice little playground. I'm kind of excited by it. But that being said, uh, once I get a cut and finish and out the door, um, what it will be will, you know, who can predict what's going to be in two years? Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm, I'm just hoping, you know, we can shop it to – it's definitely going to have a very high-level production value, you know. And I'm watching shows like White Gold, for example, um, and they're all dramas. And, you know, we, we've got a whole different vibe from that. Uh, and it's, you know, it's definitely got something to it. And I'm, I'm hoping people will be a little bit more forgiving with it if it's, a, if it's a TV series than they would be if it was, a you know, purporting to be a blockbuster movie. Because when you purport to be a blockbuster movie, you get heavy criticism. When you purport to be a TV series, and it may come off on the level of Star Trek Discovery or, you know, uh, almost Game of Thrones, not quite. Um, I think people will be a little bit nicer in the reviews. I, but I, I can't say for sure. You know, I, I'm the guy who's hated uh, constantly, but um, it, it, I, I don't care because I, I'm creating my own, uh, you know, creative output and i'm happy so it's you know it shows after time you know i suppose that's interesting because a tv show comes out and people you say so what's this tv show like and you go well you know it's kind of a slow burner but it you know it picks up towards the end and it's it's quite good if a film comes out and it's slow people are like it's crap it's too slow <laughs> it's like hang on a minute so there is a very different feel to the way that people perceive tv shows as movies I think movies, they want it up and running in 0 to 60 in about 30 seconds, whereas TV shows, they are they're a lot more forgiving. I've been watching the second season of Stranger Things, and that's kind of, we're five episodes into that. It's kind of slow building. And then you think, well, how many hours have I been watching this? If this was a movie, I'd be off by now. <laughs> I'd be gone. It's been on about four and, a half, four and a half hours or something. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I, I haven't, haven't watched season two yet, so. That's no, good. Yeah, it's all right. You know, sort of slowly working our way through that. Yeah, uh, it's. I like the music, especially. In fact, I was watching again, watching Netflix, and then season one came up, and I was like, "Oh, I want to watch this so badly," um, because the music sucks you in, and it's kind of weird. They're playing that whole uh, carpentry thing, isn't it? Yeah, it was the whole you know, member berries. If you ever watch South Park, but it's that that whole. Um, remember in the eighties, you know, how you felt when you watched this and that, and it's like, yeah. and I mean, I, I, I get sucked right into it because I, I'm watching white gold and they, they, you know, they're playing Duran Duran and, 
another great 80s hits and I'm going, oh, this is just how it was, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's uh, – I, I, I like period pieces currently set in the 80s. It's okay for me. I like one set in the 70s. But I also like stuff that's breaking new ground. And uh, I've started watching that new Star Trek TV series, uh, Discovery. Have you seen any of those yet? Yes, I watched the pilot episode and I checked out. <laughs> because it's for me, I love the whole DS9, Next Generation, that era. The yeah. way that looked, the way the characters were, the whole science level of detail, the way the Klingons looked and all that type of stuff. So putting Discovery on, you're like, well, it's kind of earlier than the shows that I liked. And it doesn't look like star trek does to me it looks more like the new rebooted star trek yeah but it's which it's, you know it's odd um i'm mm. i'm i'm going through a love hate thing with it myself uh because obviously i you know i like all star trek all forms of it um and i'm watching it and it's like well opening sequence is a riff off game game of thrones uh you know i get it and then oh let's put a cuss word in you know there's a there's a you know couple of cuss words. Ooh, they said a swear word in Star Trek, you know, but it was like, ta-da, presentational. Um, <laughs> even though it wasn't, they're trying to swallow it in there, but it was like, come on, guys. You know? And and then there was, um, oh, we've got to have, you know, politically correct gay characters in the thing and a girl with a mole on her face and red hair. Um, you know, all really good actors, by the way. Um, but it's it's kind of... It, 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 you can tell it's forced, yeah. you know, and I, I still enjoy it. That's the thing. I'm absolutely loving it. I'm enjoying the characters. I love the captain. Uh, I love the chick from the, the main character, the, the, the girl from uh, Walking Dead. Yeah, she was good. Yep. She's great. You know, you just want to just sit there and, you know, enjoy it. Um, and, you know, I'm even not minding the redheaded girl with the curly hair. When she has her hair down, it's, it's you know she's more quirky and interesting. Uh, who else? Uh, but the, the the star of the show is Doug Jones, you know who who I do have encountered actually have directed him once or twice in my life. And Doug Jones is a terrific guy, and he he steals the film a bit. And I, it's funny because the later episodes they've toned him down a bit, and it's like man, he's so much better than everyone. <laughs> let him let him be the captain. Well, yep. he's just <laughs> so he's just so interesting to watch in these scenes. And uh, though I, you know, I'm enjoying even Harry uh, Ryan uh, Ryan somebody, the guy from The Office, the American Office, is is playing Harry Mudd in in the thing, and right. he, he's enjoyable too. You know, uh, so I, I've been I've been letting it go. And you know, the problem I had with episode one and two uh, was. They they had the uh, the girl from House of Flying Daggers, I, I believe. Um, God, her name escapes me. Uh, hang on, Star Trek. I'm just googling right now. Forgive <laughs> yeah. me for you know. I, I can't help you on this one because I've only seen the pilot episode. Well, she was the female captain. Uh, right. Oh, what is her name? Was she on House of Flying Daggers or was it the other one? Hang on. And it's either it's not Michelle Yeoh, is it? Uh, I, I don't no, no, I think she was Crouching Tiger, I think, wasn't she? So. Oh, maybe it's Crouching Tiger. Yeah, see, see, a friend of mine made did the sound for House of Flying Daggers, so he's, you know, it always comes to mind. Um, amazing movies, by the way. Such artistically beautiful, beautiful films in every sense. Michelle Yeoh. Now, here's the problem. Her, her native language is she's Chinese. 
uh, I believe, or uh, you know, I'm not sure where she's from. So I'm going to say where I don't. I yeah. See, this is this is Neil Johnson knowing nothing about her truth. <laughs> um, it's obviously not her native language, and so she's having to do this very heavy Star Trek babble, you know, techno babble, and it doesn't roll off her tongue well, and it comes off a little awkward to me. However, when she's not speaking, her amazing acting ability just shines through. So I was always kind of, uh, you know, watching it, going, hmm, yeah, it's it's tough for her to say those words. But that's me because I've done a lot of science fiction and I'm always watching. But once she, she spoiler uh, spoiler alert, by the way, she, she dies. Um, once she's killed off, you know, it, it, it kind of gets a little less awkward, shall we say. And that was pity because I actually liked her. Her character was very interesting. Um, but I would have liked her to – I would have liked to have seen a, uh, a different – you know, a piece of enunciation from her, shall we say, because it just, it was hard for her. I could, I could see that. It was very difficult, you know, and that's, that's the problem I have. Um, you know, I remember this actor I had on, on one of my films, uh, he was British and he insisted on doing an American accent and it just, he, he, he was, he was okay with the accent, but it just turned his performance into being very pompous and very, uh, you know, constricted his throat and, and the audience did not relate to him. Because he was just so, I don't know, stuck in this accent, and I know he wanted to show off what he could do, but you know that's 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 not the thing. When he spoke in his original voice uh, in other films, he was much much better, and it was kind of it was kind of holding him back a bit. And you really need a really really good uh, dialect coach on set to you know help people through with that. And I, I'm always a fan of people speaking the way they speak. Um, you know, I I. I it just seems to roll off the tongue better unless you're, you know, so well trained and averse in a certain type of accent that, um, you know, it comes natural, but it's so hard for it to come natural. But I also think as, as somebody who watches a lot of films, if I see an English actor doing an American accent, it could be the best American accent in the world, Mm -hmm. but I, I'm still aware that he is doing an accent that kind of takes me out of the actual show. Yeah. I I think the sort of, the the best example I could think is every time I see Ewan McGregor doing an American accent, it's like that doesn't work. No, I'm either I'm okay with him doing his sort of Alec Guinness uh, in the Star Wars films or his Scottish accent because I know what he sounds like. Yeah, so whenever he's doing a, an American accent, and that's uh, Andrew Lincoln in The Walking Dead for me. You know, a lot of people probably think that he is American, but nope, he's not. So because I'd seen him before in UK things, so when I'm aware that somebody's putting on a fake accent, it does. It reminds me that I'm watching a, you know, a theatrical performance, so to speak. Now, let me tell you, I um, I didn't know he was American. He fooled me. I'm British, sorry. He fooled me the whole time, and I found out. It's like, oh, how interesting. That yeah. said, I would like to see a difference if he did his British accent. Would his acting performance uh, get better? Would we relate to him more? Yes, we we do relate to his character, but is there a more of a relation to his character? I don't know. Um, I tell you, who fooled me the most was Gary Oldman. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I like, wow. And then when I heard him speak. It's like, is that how he speaks? He sounds like he's from <laughs> London or so, from Essex or something almost. You know, it's like, that's not his voice, surely. But that's there's how. A, there's I, a few. It, there is. Um, he puts, there's, um, it's like, okay, I'm being interviewed. I'm going to put on a, a complete chav voice <laughs> for the interview. <laughs> there's Idris Elba. He's fooled me. Gary Oldman and Gillian Anderson. She's crazy because she's, she's British. It's kind of weird. 
she's like, oh, hello. You know, she's very much like that. Yeah, it's very, very odd. Yeah, but it's, you know, I, 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 she's got to feed in both camps, I, I think, you know. And it's, yeah, I think I, she has. I mean, it's, I, I can't speak. I've got, a, I've got a weird accent. You know, I don't, I don't know what I sound like. I just sound like I'm in the middle of nowhere. This is how I speak every day. But every now yeah. and then, I, I revert to being British or Australian. Depending on I'm, the, I'm the same. A lot of people will just periodically say to me, so where are you from? Where, where's that accent from? It's like everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. So no. we're in the same camp. We, yeah. We're roaming the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, so, I'm British, but, you know. I am, uh, I'm looking forward to having a Neil Johnson filmathon at some point with, uh, with all these new DVDs I have. Oh, it, it's, it's, all my, uh, it's all my old crap. Yeah, I dropped off movies and... and but it's the old stuff, you know. It's not necessarily the best Neil Johnson. Um, you know, I, I do. I tell you, I'm, I'm constantly missing one of my movies, uh, um, Humanity's End. You know, it's a movie I, I made 2006, and I, I still I'm still in love with that movie for some reason. I'm, I'm, it's it's a Han Solo movie. Back when it wasn't cool to do it, I must say. You've sort of, I think you've probably inadvertently answered the next question I was going to ask. But like, we'll we'll take Rogue Warrior out of the way, and we'll take Time War. And yeah. we'll take Time War out of the way because they're your two newest ones. Which of your films are you the most fondest of? Is it is it going to be Humanity's End, the version that you've that you've got in your head? That one. Um, okay, let me walk through them, <laughs> and and I'll walk through the films and the pain they've caused me. <laughs> yeah. Demons in My Head was my first film, the world's first digital anamorphic feature film ever cut on a computer online and blown to thirty-five millimeter. Uh, done in ninety-seven. And, uh, you know, it was like, I felt, oh, I have to, I have to direct in a box, you know, in a box. And it was like, you have to do this whole thing in one location. And it's like, you don't have to, I was told this is what you have to do when you do independent movies. You have to be all in one location and do this. And like, that's not me, but I did it. And, um, movie got released, did okay. Released in the UK and US, whatever. But, you know, at the time it, it went okay. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cheap, cheap film. If you look at it now, you go, "Ugh, really?" <laughs> it really is. When, I mean, I was when, was. when was the last time you watched it? Oh, I don't know. I, yeah, I haven't watched it in years. You know. Okay. But it, it is what it is. You know, and I, I go, yeah, whatever. So then, as a reaction to that, saying, "Damn it, what did I do? Why did I do it that way?" By the way, George Lucas saw it, um, and Rick McCallum. Um, but that's you know, <laughs> doesn't mean they liked it. <laughs> Second film was To Become One, which which got a you know an odd release because the company went broke on the eve of its release, and that was just me, you know, having not having a DP say I'm going to do this, do a movie my way now. To hell with everybody, I'm doing it my way, and it turned out much better. Um, quite fond of it, you know, even to this day, um, because of what the way I did it, you know, had an it has an energy, has a story, it's a road trip movie, it's this, it's that, it takes you into weird places. It's still not my best example of anything you know still acting a bit in a box in place uh, so directing in a box but it's okay third film i said i want to break out of the box so i did battle space yep. and um one of the hardest shoots of my entire life uh it's the subject of a documentary which will be out one day um and uh you know pirated across the planet made you know it was a science fiction film but it, again it was ready to be a big film and the funding got pulled while we were on location, you know, about to roll, roll oh. tape. And I say tape, digital tape. 
um, full HD digital tape early days. And funding got pulled on that. So I was like, hmm, made the film regardless. And then spent two and a half years trying to put it together, finished it, released it. Not, not a great, you know, reflection of me. And, and then, you know, so I got frustrated and I, I got really frustrated with my career. I thought three movies, nothing I really like. So I'm going to retool my first film, Demons in My Head, and call it Nephilim. Uh, and it's kind of the, the proper version of what Demons should have been, shall we say, but still not, not right. It was still a Band-Aid movie. And the same with To Become One. I'm going to rework that a little bit. Um, uh, and uh, rename it Bipolar Armageddon. And then suddenly they're all in the same universe because I was developing Humanity's End. Humanity's End was finally a movie I got to make properly and shot in, in Hollywood and all that stuff with, uh, you know, proper sets and everything. You know, it, it was done properly. And we went on real locations. And it was really, a, I want to say, a love letter start to Star Wars. It was a love letter to um, Han Solo and Red Dwarf combined. I guess in, in yeah, a, yeah. you know, and it was going to be more comedy based, but I was warned against it. So the the movie, uh, you know, is, I would ultimately have put out or will put out one day. I'll do the director's cut version, the proper director's cut, not the half director's cut, and um, it'll be the way I wanted it to, it to look. I'll redo the visual effects. I'm going to do this one day. Um, you know, it's funny on Humanities and I fight myself a lot. I'm so fond of the movie. That sometimes I think I'll just re you know I I'll remake it, <laughs> I'll remake my movie, which is kind of weird, um, but I've thought about that many a time, and uh, you know I don't know yet how it's going to end up. I'm just going to you know fix the uh, low budget errors in the film or the visual effects in it from you know 2006 at the time it was great, but now it's like huh. Um, so I did that, so it's in this whole universe, and it kind of encompassed the other movies into the universe. And then I, I was flat broke. Uh, I did Alien Armageddon, which was, uh, let's just say it saved me financially. It saved my ass. It saved me from yeah. being homeless. So I, I don't mean seriously. Um, I'm, I'm fond of that movie for what it is. Uh, it was more like To Become One. It was just Neil Johnson without a DP doing everything. Um, not really, but, you know, I had a DP actually. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay. But... <laughs> You know, it was kind of a prequel to Humanity's End in a weird way. <laughs> you know, a long, a long, early prequel to it. But you know, so and it had some really good actors in it, and it's real. You know, I worked I to work with some terrific actors. Uh, um, Catherine, Catherine. Um, oh, I've forgotten her name. McHugh. Oh, that's terrible. How could I do that? Um, but anyway, you know, it, it, it's. It, it, it was it was a much smaller budget than Humanity's End by a long shot. So I did that again, you know, just scraping money together to do another big sci-fi epic. So I was dreaming of doing Starship or something, and then I was like, well, I've got no money, so let me do um, waiting for the money to, for Alien Armageddon to come in. So I'll do Alien Dawn. I'm going to kind of play with War of the Worlds, and again, it was kind of fun and has sold very well, has done very well in the marketplace. It's not meant to be War of the Worlds. It's meant to be a retelling of War of the Worlds. Um, one day I'll do the proper version. Um, so I saved myself the uh, the misery of doing, you know, my my War of the Worlds because, you know, how many versions of War of the Worlds have there been? And I didn't want to do another one. So it's called Alien Dawn, but it is War of the Worlds officially, you know, yep. in, in my head. Um, then, uh, so Alien Dawn, what came after that? Oh, yeah, then I got onto Starship 1 and 2. 
Yep. I shot them, and they were big budget movies. So I took all the money from Alien Armageddon and, and made those movies, and they cost me an absolute fortune. And it was plagued with, I, I, I it was it was Game of Thrones in outer space, before Game of Thrones was a thing, and it was plagued with lots of actor issues and problems. Um, you know, to this day, I'm still dealing with some of those issues, but. Uh, all in all, it was a you know quite a big movie, and it did good business despite the horrible scathing reviews. Because people expected it to be a movie that cost twenty million dollars, and it's a, yeah. I got this for twenty million dollars. What the hell, you know? But it didn't cost that much. Um, and you know, I did one and two. I shot both movies back to back. But before I finished them, then I got stranded in the UK, and I did a film called. Well, originally it was called Chrononaut, then it was called Death Machine, then it was called Doomsday. Yeah. And I, I believe there's rumors it's going to have a UK release soon. It's been released in the US. And it's a British film. It's a whole British movie uh, with great actors. I have to say all around great actors and great locations. And it's a road movie. Um, and I, th- I think I'm very fond of that one because that was at a time when my best friend passed away. And it was a very, very painful time. Um, and I had no money again. <laughs> And I made the film. So it, it means a lot to me. So that one in Humanity's End mean the lot, most to me uh, as, as far as movies go. And it's, it's my, you know, it, it's, it's a real, it's a fun night. It's a great movie. It's not a big budget, you know. Um, but one of my biggest budget movies, Humanity's End, my smallest budget movie uh, was um, Doomsday. But they both have good places in my heart. And then there's Rogue Warrior where I just got to be, you know, really just go overboard and be creative. Yeah. Um, finally, you know, I finally took all the skills I'd learned from all these these smaller movies and was able to put it together in some form. And then all the mistakes I made on that film, I've now taken and put into The Time War. In, in between the, all the, the Time War and all that <laughs> other stuff, there's a movie called At the Edge of Time, which is, I won't say sitting on the shelf, but it can't come out till after the time war is done. And it's in the same universe as the time war. And it may get integrated as part of the time war TV series at some point. So when we say the time war is eight hours long, it's actually, you know, the time war and at the edge of time, two movies, yeah, two movies, <laughs> both one, both about four hours each. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's kind of like dust boot of the science fiction world, isn't it? That's it. It's a, <laughs> yep. You've hit the nail on the head. That's about what it is. Um, I think for me, I think the the movies I'm fondest of so far, definitely the first Starship movie because it was Brooke Lewis that, you know, introduced me to uh, you to me via. I still remember emailing me years ago saying, "Oh, you must email Neil Johnson." And then for some reason, it was years after, a couple of years after when we actually started communicating and stuff. So the first Starship, and then obviously Rogue Warrior as well, because that was definitely is the first one where I followed the sort of journey of the film yeah. from the other side of the Atlantic. And then we sort of hung out in San Diego and had a chat about it. And the film hadn't come out yet and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so far those two would be my, you know, um, fondest memories of Neil Johnson movies. But then, you know, you, I, I, I think you're going to really like, uh, doomsday when it comes out. Um, and the director's cut again, I, I pulled the, I, I pulled the director's cut on that already. And uh, it's not released anywhere yet. Yep. And that's the one that will come out in the UK. And even my sales agent said, yeah, I like this version better. Nice. <laughs> so finally, people are you know paying attention. Oh, no, not really. But it's nice to see that um, the director's cut version come out. And that will come out. I think you'll be very fond of that. And 
Do what, what did you think of Humanity's End, which is released worldwide? You can buy it everywhere. Hum- yeah, Humanity's End sitting on the desk over here. I really like that. It was fun. Yeah. It was good. It's, you know, it did everything that I expect a science fiction film to do. Entertain me, look good, make me laugh when it needs to. You know, it was, uh, it was fun. But people, you were sort of mentioning that reviews are a bit scathing for which was the Starship movie, wasn't it? I think generally just people, there's a, there's a massive amount of critics now that just, I don't know, sometimes they'll dislike a film before they've even seen it. Yeah. Yeah, like Justice League or certainly the DC movies or whatever, they'll go, ooh, that's coming out, let's get it. Why? Wow, I never understood that myth- mythology. No, and it, it'll, sooner or later, in this, this wonderfully PC world, the uh, critics are going get, to get attacked, and it's going to be very uncool. I mean, I'll start the campaign. It's going to be very uncool to be, you know, be that troll. Uh, yeah. It already is, but, you know, it's going to become very socially unacceptable to be a troll. And at some point... You know, I hope there's some sort of backlash against all these people. Uh, you, you know, it, it's, it's it, you know, I've said this before. You look at the, the reviews of Force Awakens. I can't find a good review on IMDb anywhere. Yet, it's a great film. It is. And it's rated well. And it's it made a lot of money. And people want, I want to watch that again. You know, I sit in here, I want to watch it again. <laughs> you know, um, it's even more watchable than... Uh, Rogue, Rogue One. It, for yeah, some, I think so. Yeah, for some reason, uh, and I think that's the the characterization and the you know the great filmmaking talents of J.J. Abrams. You know, um, though you know, let me tell you, I, I the last twenty minutes of Rogue One, I'm just oh, I'm in heaven. I just I'm on <laughs> my seat. You got to watch it again one day. Yeah, I, pro- I probably will do it at some point. Yeah, definitely. But Force Awakens, I've seen a few times. And I still get goosebumps each time I watch it. It's really good. Music's amazing. So yeah, yeah, it's it's worth it's worth our effort. And I know Last Jedi is going to be wonderful. And I, you know, I can't wait. You know, it's it's thank God. You know, thank God. I mean, I I I liked um, Alien Covenant. I enjoyed it. You know. Yeah, I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it, but it's still sat in my head. And I still keep thinking, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch it again pretty exactly. soon. And I know that when I watch it again, I'll go, I actually really like that film. No, it's one of those. Yeah. It's yeah. going to happen to you, you know? And I'm okay with that. I sure, I hope he just caps it off with one more, at least, you know? Because uh, yep. I want to see where the story, I want to see him take it somewhere. It's going to be interesting. Um, I, I, you know, I, I am sitting here, seriously. I'm like, I need to watch. Alien Covenant again. I need to watch the whole of the Planet of the Apes movies again. Now that it's got such a good ending, uh, I feel it's it's a worthy investment of my life to watch this movie many times. And um, you know, it, it's it doesn't give you the same feeling as the old Planet of the Apes, but you can't ever get that back. Who wants to watch people in in in, in, in rubber 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 masks? You know, acting like humans. You know, it's kind of weird. Sort of mumbling through the mouth. Yep. That's the one. That's but they were. That's how good but they were. But they were great. I love them. But yeah. like audiences, just they wouldn't put up with that nowadays. No, no. They would complain and take to their Facebook about Facebook accounts, wouldn't they? Yes, exactly. <laughs> what have you got planned for the rest of your day? I'm going to head off in a couple of minutes and and oh. uh, have some supper and then go to sleep and get up at silly o'clock and go to work. Well, what's your plans for the rest of this Sunday? Uh, well, I'm just going to continue on the time war. I'm having such a good time putting it together. Um, it's it's one of, it's so much fun. Uh, I'm then planning tomorrow. I've got a road trip to uh, 
if Tracy will, will, you know, allow me to drag her out, um, not sure where she is right now, but I, I will, I, we, we're scheduled officially to do pickup shots in the, uh, in the mountains somewhere. Um, the big mountains, you know, the big California giant mountain, 10,000 feet up in the air type mountains. I need a couple of shots out there. Um, that's, that's kind of it really. Just, just pick up shots and then just get back to cutting. You know, I'm, I'm on a cutting frenzy right now and I'm just going to binge watch and, and, but that's, you know, by the time I see you next, I would have watched a million other shows. Oh, I did watch Elizabeth. Uh, oh, the, the first one. The first one, which was Kate Blanchett. Yes. And Jeffrey Rush and Fanny Ardent. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if you're from Australia, Fanny Ardent. Yep. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, God, that movie's amazing. It's like an acting class 101. You know, every actor should watch this 10 times over. Why? I think it's I think it's one of those where I've seen the second one, but I haven't seen that one. Oh, yeah. I've seen I've one. seen the golden I've seen the golden age, but I haven't seen the first one. Well, the first one, the second one's okay, but the first one is gold, and I mean it's right. like wow, that's the movie. Getting back to Harvey Weinstein, okay, that when that movie came out, also uh, Shakespeare in Love came out, and which one got Best Actress? It wasn't. Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> it should have been Kate Blanchett, and I mean you know no just just respect to Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, but it was kind of, it was owned by Kate Blanchett in that film and she was such a good actress and why on earth, you know, Kate Blanchett did not get the Oscar for that. I don't know. Obviously it had something to do with Harvey Weinstein. Yep. Uh, and the, uh, the sheer amount of money he used to put behind his Oscar campaigns. Exactly. And yep. she didn't even sleep for him, for him to get the, uh, Oscar win. Um, you know, no. so <laughs> she shouldn't complain. But um, you know, you know, it, it, it's Kate Blanchett. When you, this is how you know how good she is. She's, she's. They did. I watched the behind the scenes, behind the scenes interviews, and she has this very broad Australian accent. She's just carrying on like an Australian woman <laughs> from Sydney, and blah 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 blah, in costume, in makeup, and it's so weird. And it's like then you watch her act. When you realize the distance between the real Kate Blanchett and the actress on the screen, said, "Now that's an actor." That's an actor. Let me tell you, she was such an amazing actor in the film, and I, you know, I, I can't praise her enough. It's one of why one of those people I would die to to work for, work with. Sorry, um, because she can act her socks off, and she's just got this, oh, this 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 energy about her, and this, uh, you know, she she just nailed it so well. You know, the Queen would have been proud if she was. I'm sure the Queen's saw the movie, by the way, because it was Elizabeth the first, not the second. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> The, the more you watch it, the more it grows on you too. It's one of those movies like, you know, it's like watching Daniel Day-Lewis. You've got to keep watching it and watching it and watching it. And he's just, it's like cocaine for, for movie buffs. It's like watching The Devils, is it? Oh, <laughs> you got to keep, keep watching it. I'm going to send you, I've, I've got to send you, <laughs> I'm going to send that in the mail. I've got it here, actually, ready to send. Um, I, I, we need to discuss this movie one day. I uh, picked up the newest edition of 1001 Movies to Watch Before You Die, which is a, a big book that comes out every October, mm-hmm. and they update it, and The Devils is actually in there, so oh, yeah. that is, that's deemed one of the 1001 Movies to Watch. Oh, how, how I'd love to have a movie on that list. Oh, wouldn't that be glorious? Well, it comes out every year, so let's, uh, you know, yeah. next well, year, year after, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Who knows, get time more in there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I shall, I'm going to leave you to it for now, Neil. But always a pleasure to have a catch up. Lovely talking to you. 
and uh, I look forward to having a catch up pretty soon and finding out what you've been up to and what else you've watched. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Will you enjoy your day? I will. And I'll catch up with you soon. Okay. See ya. Bye bye. day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.